lost the weight upon my shoulder. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am not afraid. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, it would really help us out if you could write a review wherever you listen, share it with a friend and give it a star rating and click follow or subscribe in whatever app you listen in. All that really helps us out. And also if you are not following us on Instagram and Facebook, you can follow along at beautiful shifts underscore podcast. And that's where we share our current and upcoming episodes, photos of our guests and other fun content. So thank you. Yep. Thanks. All right, welcome to the podcast today. We have Natalie Castro with us. Hi, Natalie. Hi. Hey, ladies. How are you? We're good. good. So happy to have you here and to make time for us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, excited to be here and chat with you guys. Yeah, so Natalie is friends with John and Brooke. Um, we had them on a couple months ago. Um, John is a, was a, in the major leagues and retired, and Brooke is um, was his very supportive wife and um, – <laughs> was is back in nursing school and a nurse now and their story was great if you want to go back to listen to that met natalie through them um because they knew each other in florida with all her work with her sister so we're going to jump right into her story after Lindsay reads her bio um and i'm excited for you guys to hear it today yeah Okay. Natalie Castro specializes in creating an autism-friendly home through real estate and design. She is an autism sibling and co-guardian, TEDx speaker and advocate, and her mission is to create an autism-friendly community with her sister being the inspiration behind every creation. So yeah, and we're going to talk more about Natalie's transition being the sibling of her sister who's autistic and kind of going from not understanding her sister as much when they were younger to now being like, such a supportive sibling. I mean, she's like a guardian, just, yeah, yeah she's an advocate. amazing person. Yeah. And such an advocate. So we're excited to hear more of her story in depth. Yeah. So, um, maybe we can go back and you tell us a little bit about growing up and what that was like with your sister. Well, when I was in school, I just remember being in elementary school and my friends would be telling me what they did over the weekend with their families. And I just remember every single time we had this conversation I just couldn't relate to any of my friends and what they were doing. They didn't even know what autism meant when I told them my sister was autistic. And it was really difficult growing up being able to talk to somebody about it. I feel like reflecting back, my parents were also trying to figure it out as well. And I just remember being little and feeling like my sister hated me because a lot of the behaviors that Angie had, she was also nonverbal. But she would do things like break my toys and spit at me and kick me and and punch me. And it would be where I would go into our playroom. I would want to play with her. And she would shove me away or throw a fit. And I just remember being really sad. And I started asking myself, why do my friends get to play with their siblings? But mine doesn't even want to play with me. And every day after school, my dad would pick me and my sister up. We would take her to her, you know, therapy sessions. And I didn't even know what therapy meant. I didn't really understand. My parents would talk like, oh, there's a lot of people that are helping your sister and us right now. But I didn't know what that meant. Like they told me it, but I really had no clue. And every day after school, I would sit in the therapy office for hours, 
Monday through Friday, not being able to do any of my activities. And then we would get home and Angie would have these behaviors toward me. So it was really frustrating when I was growing up to really comprehend one, what I was doing in a waiting room for hours and I saw no results. You know, my parents would say, oh, you know, we go take Angie to therapy so we can get help. And I said, well, it's not working, so why are we going? Right. Yeah, that'd be so but All that time, yeah. And at what you age know. were you when this was happening, when they started taking her to therapy? I, was, I really remember when I was eight. Okay. I think a little bit before then, I just remember more of the behaviors. But when I was eight, I was becoming a lot more aware of what we were doing after school and everything that was being done for her. Okay, yeah. and you were 18 months older than her. That's she right, yeah. Sister. Okay. Yeah, that would be yep. so hard, not understanding, like, why am I sitting here forever? Yeah. yeah why is- and you can see from the, your parents' perspective, like, like they have all the thoughts already in their head of what therapy is and what this is going to do. But a child, like, of course, you didn't have any framework for that. So you're, yeah, and, and right. then you know what's going on at home with her. And, yeah, that would be really hard. Yeah, and I, I do feel like reflecting back, you know, my mom, I, re- I would remember she would work so much. And I would say to myself, you know, why doesn't my mom want to play with me either growing up? Why is she always working and sitting in front of the computer? And then my dad was the only one that used to, like, play with me. But I would almost tell him, like, can we not play with Angie? Like, I would say that when I was little. Like, I don't want to play with Angie. I just want it to be us two. Because he would say, oh, let's go to the park. I'm like, I really don't want to. Because when I was younger, I was so embarrassed of what my sister did in the public. I didn't Mm want to go out. Yeah. She would throw tantrums on the floor. She would scream and... It was almost like if I knew my sister was coming with us, she would ruin the experience when I was little. Mm. Yeah, and that's so hard. I mean, you're just a kid. You just want to have fun. Yeah, you want to be able to tell your friends yeah. at school what you did over the weekend. You want to go to the park and just enjoy it and not be stressed out about a, a meltdown. Yeah. And especially not even understanding probably what Angie had exactly or what the... Yeah, and maybe your parents too. I mean, I feel like they know a lot more now and there's more speaking out yeah. about these things. But like, why is she throwing a fit? Why can't she just be normal as they say you know and, and treat me nice and yeah stuff. yeah so that'd be really hard as a little girl yeah and then at this point when she was like eight or so or you were eight or so when she was going to these therapies and you have these memories was she verbal yet or was that still no okay. no she she was verbal she wasn't verbal until she was about 11 years old mm. yeah and that's hard too because that's probably so frustrating for her that she can't explain how she feels she can't yeah. verbalize right. like you know, whatever it is, this noise is bothering me, or I don't know how to tell you something, yeah. so I'm just going to have a meltdown because I'm so frustrated. I mean, in both sides, it's probably so hard for both of you at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember because my mom worked a lot, so it was mostly my dad with us, but I just remember he had so much patience. And I just remember thinking, like, I don't I don't even want to go out. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, well, I don't want so to go hard. to the And kids are just naturally... <laughs> yeah focused on yourself. I mean, that's developmental, that's normal. So of course it's going to be hard for you to like, you know, we try to tell our kids like, Oh, think of how the other person's feeling. But when it's all just making your life so hard, I mean, how I just can't imagine like that. So I actually have a niece who's she's eight right now. And she is from what I know so far of your sister reminds me a lot of your sister. She is starting to say some words. She's autistic. Um, but you know, it's really interesting she's so sweet and darling, but when she's around our family, like the, cause I have eight year old twins. So we see the difference and she's so smart though. Like it's amazing how smart she is. She lines up colors and numbers and letters and she spells words, but it's the verbal that's so hard. And so anyway, the, the communication barrier, I think 
is got to be so tough and that's their only child. So, I mean, you know, I don't see like, yeah, just having you be a sibling. I I feel like that would be a really tough situation. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, at what point, so, so all those therapies were starting and then in your TEDx talk, you explain about that speech pathologist that was so life-changing in your life. Maybe you could um, take us to that point and explain what happened with that. Well, I was in the therapy office and I just remember there was a really tough weekend that we had and my sister was just extra aggressive with me than usual. And my dad was telling the therapist, I remember, I was a little embarrassed that he was sharing that story, but he was telling the therapist, hey, you know, this did happen over the weekend and Natalie doesn't really understand what's going on. And that speech therapist just said, you know, can I have Natalie come with me in the, in my session today? And again, I had no idea what was behind those doors. And I go in and there's this like amazing gym and there's, you know, toys and swings. And um, I mentioned it in my TED talk where I was like, hey, why am I waiting in a waiting room? And she gets to like play right. all the time. Like yeah. it made me angry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. having so much fun. And this is like, I'm getting yeah. left out to yeah. sit in this office. Like, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And the waiting room wasn't even like great for people to, for, for families, you know, especially siblings, but um, and I'll tell later why, you know, when I owned a therapy office, why I changed all that, especially for siblings. But one of the things that she taught me and she told me was, I want you to come back here with me because I want to teach you how to play with your sister. And I told her good luck Yeah. because I was just, and it wasn't that I hated my sister. It was that I was just frustrated with the situation and I didn't understand. And after that therapy session, she taught me how to use Angie's, um, assisted communication device. She was teaching me how to help, um, Angie understand like my turn versus your turn. It was so clearly explained to me in that session that afterwards this like transformation in myself went from feeling overwhelmed in anger and frustration and confusion to more of a curiosity because it's not really an understanding, but I was curious to find out more to understand more about Angie. Mm-hmm. And that curiosity transformed into understanding. And I just wanted to always, from then on out, volunteer and be in Angie's therapy sessions. And after a while, after a few weeks, other therapists in the office were actually asking me to help with social skills in their other treatments. So I was not only really able to understand Angie. But I was able to understand other children with autism, too, which brought so much um, understanding to me. Yeah. Through wow. That. I love that you, that word curiosity. I think mm-hmm. if we all use that with anybody that we don't understand, it can really yeah. change our mindset. If we don't understand how someone's behavior is or how they're living their life, if we were curious about who they were as a person, you know, just like you did with Angie, it can change everything. And now not only have you helped Angie, but you've helped so many other people along the way, both people with autism as well as their families, which is so awesome. Yeah. And I love the, how you brought up. Sometimes we need a person, especially like kids and people that don't understand. We need someone to like facilitate to help us get to a place where then we can understand, you know, like, I think that's why therapists of all kinds are so amazing. Like, you know, occupational therapist, speech pathologists, cause like even a parent, I mean, taking your kid in and being like, I don't understand, you know, if, if a specialist can, can tell you. And like, like your specialist told you, you know, the, then all of a sudden, okay, well now I'm going to have curiosity about this because otherwise you just might feel like your sibling hates you or all this frustration building up. So anyway, yeah, it's super cool cool. to do that. Yeah. 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 We, 
we definitely have a lot of work to do when it comes to sibling education. I feel like the primary focus are the parents, which of course, but I feel like we need to adapt the way that we teach fam. We need to teach it more from a family point of view than just um, parents. And I do that a lot with my clients is I actually have the siblings involved in the meeting and I've had siblings share a lot of their frustrations that they don't understand how to communicate it to their parents. And I've worked with five-year-olds, I've worked with 17-year-olds, and it's so crazy to find out like what they're feeling internally, but they're not expressing it because as a sibling, you kind of feel like, well, my parents already have a lot to deal with. I'm not going to express that because yeah, I don't, you don't want to be, to their plate. yeah, you don't want to yeah. be part of their problem. You don't want to be part of their stress. So you let that go. But then like with you, once you understood it, I'm sure you helped your parents so much because you were understanding edgy. I was so excited. I was doing things in the house to like adapt the house. Like just Mm -hmm. as an example, she, her and I shared a room and the speech language pathologist and OT helped me understand like life skills and how Angie communicated. So I just remember like drawing pictures of what's called like PECS, the picture exchange communication system, like the little visuals. And I remember like drawing pictures or just asking the speech therapist, like, Hey, can I have pictures for the bathroom? I want to teach Angie how to brush her teeth or how to like get dressed or get ready for school. Like I was just, I was so much more excited because I think they just gave me a path to the possibility of connecting with my sister, but in a whole new way that it was almost like a self discovery too. It was like, I was taking things from therapists, but I was implementing it at home. And like, instead of doing sports and stuff, like I just, I just loved being with my sister and the therapist learning. That is That's so cool. Awesome. I know. I was thinking, do you, th- do you feel like it kind of went from like this place where you've kind of felt isolated and frustrated to like, you were saying the curiosity word, like it's almost like this yeah. puzzle that you're trying to figure out. And I feel like that became like a passion for you is what it sounds like. It, it did. It turned into me, you know, volunteering at summer camps with Angie and I was a lot more protective over her too <laughs> since then. And there's still a lot of things like even today that we just, we have our sister moments. Like you can't, autism can't take away the natural parts of you being a sibling in general. Like there are days where we get on each other's nerves and (laughs) there are days where she steals my makeup or my clothes. Like it's typical little sister stuff. Um, But I think having, not I think, I know having Angie as a sister has really just made me appreciate the little things that I that I feel sisters in general take for granted. Like I have friends tell me, Oh, you know, I was talking to my sister about boys and about makeup and this and that. And I go, I can't really have those conversations with Angie. Like you should be so grateful to have that. Or like when they bicker and they use their words for like not saying nice things. I'm like, yeah, that just like, you don't understand what it's like to have a sister who can't say those things. Like, I think you would look at your relationship a little differently with your sister. If you understood what autism siblings went through, you know, just so awesome that you've been able to, I don't know, recognize those things and be able to implement those. So maybe you could tell us about when you started, it sounds like in your Ted talk, maybe you even started or had an office or something where you helped other kids. Like what age was that? And how did you get when you were like a young, young adult or maybe even like, yeah, just kind of tell us how, how that led to when you were helping others more professionally and everything. Well, I was going to college for, um, my intention was for occupational therapy and I worked at a preschool for kids with autism, but it was funny because during the summer 
I was a teacher's assistant at preschool for kids with autism. And I feel like that was such a catalyst to going into the business world of starting my business called Pieces of Inspiration. And the first family I really had the chance to work one-on-one with was actually Brooke and John. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, you know, I told them in my interview, I said, I know I don't have a master's degree. Um, I know that, you know, maybe I don't have as many years like in the professional side, but I remember telling them like, I have so much passion and obsession for helping your child in their class, in the classroom setting. And I promise you, like, you won't find anybody like more dedicated to helping your son than me. And they were like, okay, you're hired. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> well, I do know they love you. And I mean, they spoke yeah. highly of you before you even moved to Utah. I already know, knew who you were before you moved here because they thought oh, so highly cool. of you. And I, I mean, obviously it's been a, what, 15 year, almost a 15 year relationship. Um, yeah. So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. <laughs> no, no, not um, long. So, well, that's really great. So it was more of like a preschool. Is that what it was? So my, my position as a preschool assistant led to afterwards being um, an assistant for their son. And then because of the success story where I had more and more families reaching out to me in the same school saying, hey, I need your services. Like I heard what you did. This is what my child's struggling with. And I was still in college. I, I didn't even have like time for a huge caseload. But I told myself, I, I have to serve these families. I have to figure out a way. And I just, I put it out there into the universe, like, please, you know, help me find some sign that I should move, how I should move forward with this. And that's when I started my team of shadows. And that's where pieces of inspiration really came from was all these families reaching out. And um, it slowly transitioned into a therapy office in Florida. And it was the best experience I've ever had. And what was really cool about it was the families never hired me because I had a master's degree. And I think so many people, especially in the autism community, look at credentials to help their child. And it's really about the person and what they put behind your child, not necessarily the credentials of it. Yeah. I'm just your experience with your sister. Yeah. Your life experience. I mean, you have like invaluable experience that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was cool because once we got the team of therapists, even working collaboratively together, everyone had like, I call it their zone of genius that we brought to the table and brought to the families. Um, but it was the story of that office was Angie. It was, this is where Angie was. This is where Angie is. And this is where Angie's going. That family's just really bought into saying, okay, like we're going to trust you with this. And we helped over 160 families in a matter of six years. So we were just extremely grateful for that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, I was thinking earlier, you said that you kind of incorporated the siblings just like someone did for you. So how did you do that at your, um, at the therapy office? How did you incorporate the siblings as part of that? I never let the siblings feel like they just dropped off and picked up their sibling without feeling understood as to why they were going there. I took what I felt sitting in that therapy office and really changed the way parents would come in. I had, you know, Angie used to make coffee at the office. It was the parents' favorite. And we had a coffee machine and the waiting room was like a lounge area where the moms or the dads were able to just mingle and kind of vent or just relax for a second. And if I saw a sibling, I would actually invite the sibling to the back with me and have them help me with something. And I would give them like, you know, like $5 or I would give them like a little prize or something for helping. 
but it was really important that I showed them what autism and special needs and as a whole was with other children, not just their siblings. And I mean, they have the best relationships with their siblings today following all these families is because we provided that foundation for them to understand. And because again, parents are just figuring out what their life is looking like, what their life is going to be like, what autism is as a general, and then what autism is for their child. You know, we want the siblings to feel like they're part of that discovery process too. So at the office, we really made sure to either invite the siblings to the back in their siblings therapy sessions, or at least help out in the office in some form. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. That's cool. I mean, my son, Peyton, had a bunch of medical things when he was younger, and he um, got diagnosed with apraxia of speech at one point. So he had speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy just because of his sickness. He needed all three of those things. And um, first of all, I'm so grateful for therapists and people. Like, he wouldn't touch certain foods or eat certain foods, and then we you know, went through this and he was, and then the same thing, those, what did you call those? Um, the visual learning, like with the, the kinesthetic learning too. Yeah. So like visual perception. Yeah. Like that was so helpful because he wasn't really, you know, speaking and, but he, he could understand and he wanted to communicate. So we taught a little sign language, but also pictures were huge for him. Um, and he does have, he has a sister that was younger and I do feel like as she got older and could understand, it was so much better to have her be part of it. Yeah. Be come with him to therapy, come with him. And not only because it helped her understand, but I also feel like it helped Peyton be more willing to kind of open up and be himself because he was comfortable with his sister, but he also wanted to like show his sister, Oh, this is my therapy. This is my, yeah, my place where I play and get to do these things. Like I want to show you these things, but it, and it kind of reminds me like when someone has a baby, I love when like Someone brings the sibling something. Yeah. So they feel a part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're it's not a whole just getting let, unit. let yeah. out of. Yeah. I was just thinking how cool, like it makes so much sense because a big part of why people take their kids, I mean, of course they're taking their kids to therapy to just be responsible and try to help them anyway, but they're hoping for those good results at home. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, you know, the meltdowns and the, and the lashing out or whatever with the siblings, but I don't know. I feel like this could be like such a big step, I guess. I don't know how to, how else to say it. Yeah. Like revolutionary (laughs) really, because so then it's like, okay, well we're taking our kid to therapy. We take them home and and they're still fighting with their sibling. They're still having all these issues, but it's like, well, if you just involve the siblings more, I mean, even if the behavior of the autistic child or special needs child isn't changing as much, the, the sibling might understand more. I don't know. I just feel like it could be a huge positive change for a lot of families. So this is so cool. I love I love that you're doing this. So do you feel like, well, actually let's get back to your story and then we'll get to what's going on maybe currently with. Yeah. So what, what, like, so you were in Florida when you did that. Right. And that's, so about how old was Angie when she was helping in the office and making coffee for the families? And so when she aged out of high school, which she was around 22, Mm -hmm. that's when I started involving her. I worked a lot of one-on-ones with families before I had a physical office. Like I would go to the homes and help like adapt. I would coach parents. I would go into schools and I would coach teachers. Um, It was a lot of more individualized plans. And the cool thing about it was I was even teaching teachers about sensory needs and really connecting, you know, therapists with, Hey, I know you work a lot on one-on-ones, but this is what we need in the community because this day-to-day life of these kids, they need help. They need help um, having having kind of like an advocate, educating the people around them. Like teachers is a whole topic, you know, the medical field's another topic, law enforcement's another topic. 
And it's a huge part of why I do my advocacy today. But the thing with Angie is that I feel like going from being her sister to being like her guardian, her co-guardian and taking that role, it's really put me into a position to really see what our community provides her. Because if I wasn't put in that position, I don't feel like I would have that understanding. And one of the things I really stress to parents because of that is you never know what life is going to happen. You never know what's going to happen in life. And we need to prepare the siblings for that role. And I think a lot of parents, like whether it's taking their the sibling to the therapy session or educating them on, hey, what is it like dating as a sibling, telling your significant other about your role with your sibling or your responsibilities with your sibling. I think parents are so held back on that because they don't want to inconvenience the sibling. And I want to help shift that focus to it's not inconveniencing the sibling, it's helping the sibling connect. Mm-hmm. I like that. And it's giving them the opportunity to have an understanding of a world that is beyond anything that you can learn through autism in a textbook. So parents rely so much on just themselves educating the siblings. And there's a whole world of professionals out there that are super valuable to be able to have that education as well um, with that. And sorry to go kind of on a tangent on that, but Mm. siblings, siblings is a huge topic. It's definitely needed. Like you said, it's a whole revolution, Mm -hmm. but Angie being part of everything in my day-to-day world helps give that perspective of what's needed. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The education part, like you need, like you're saying, you need to educate teachers and uh, medical professionals and even law enforcement, but most importantly, yeah, like the family unit, the parents, the siblings to know and be educated on what autism means, what the behaviors mean, how they can help, um, how they can have a relationship with their siblings. So, yeah. 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 So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what brought you to Utah or, and what are you doing, what you're doing now? And then your role with Angie, um, like you're saying now that you have more of that guardian role. Well, yeah. I mean, to put it in a nutshell, when I worked with um, Brooke and John in Florida, they were originally from Utah. And they were when they moved back to Utah, they said, hey, the boys really miss you. Why don't you come visit? I'm like, sure. Like, Utah's a state I've never been to. It'd be so fun. And I remember sitting on the plane, looking out. It was winter time, And I just saw all this snow in the mountains. And something intuitive feeling, super spiritual, just kind of came over me and said, something for here, something here is meant for you. Like this is home. Hmm. And I'm like, how the heck do I feel this? Like, <laughs> I haven't even come down on the plane yet. And I just like, I don't know what it was, but for, it was actually for, I came back home to Florida from visiting Utah. And I said, I, I just know I'm meant to be in Utah. And everyone's like, what the heck is in Utah? Like Florida? <laughs> like if you mentioned Utah to Florida, everyone's like, what the heck is in what? Utah? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like saying what's in, let's it's kind of like nebraska you know it's kind of like yeah. random yeah, yeah. Some random state yeah. <laughs> yeah some random state and i said i'm meant to be here and for six years i kept saying I'm, I'm meant to be in utah and one day you know we had this family um instance and i could talk about a whole other thing on another podcast but my when i became guardian co-guardian with for angie it was because my father decided to leave the family and decided to, um, give up his rights as a guardian for Angie. So I was going through all that trauma, that abandonment and a lot of family stuff. And I just said to myself, like, I just feel like my chapter here in Florida is done. I kind of just want a fresh start. 
Yeah. And that's when the move to Utah happened. And I didn't understand why at first, because COVID happened just a few months later. And I was like, what the heck did I just yeah, do? I oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. And I knew nobody. But what co- what that opportunity gave me was coming from being in the pediatric therapy world to now kind of going through COVID. One of the things that really stuck out to me was, how does Angie live independently in a home? How is the home set up for her life skills and her lifestyle? And that's when kind of the wheels started turning and saying, you know, what's really needed. And I started getting into researching like adaptive bedrooms or adaptive like um, bathrooms and not necessarily for like autism, but just for her to be independent. And that's when this like whole new creative process like really started coming with me. I had already technically done those things in Florida with other families. I just didn't really put design into it. I just put more function. Hmm. And that was when everything kind of came about where I was watching HDTV one day and there was a show for a child who was in a wheelchair and it was a -a make-a-wish child. And his wish was, you know, to get a home design, like a whole bedroom redesign. And that's when it hit me, like, why don't we have an HGTV show that shows families how to adapt their home to have their child's independence and, you know, based on what they need for life skills and everything. And it says you need to become a realtor to submit a show. And I went to real estate school the next day. And the rest is history. I've been doing that (laughs) ever since with advocacy and all of it. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw you did that, I thought, wow, I never even had thought of that. But it makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, to to have a home that works for your child that, you know, may have some special needs to make everything, you know, just flow as easy as possible or Mm -hmm. to make things not is difficult. And I think that's such a great specialty that you have gone into because I think there's, I mean, I'm sure you could say that, is there a pretty big need for that? Do you feel? (laughs) There's, here's the thing. There's a need for it. It's just not much of an awareness. Yeah. It's families not realizing that they can incorporate academic and therapy goals into their home and create that home environment to one, help the developmental milestones of their child, but also how do you incorporate that to connect with the siblings and how do you create that in your day-to-day life as a, as a parent or a caretaker to be able to help with that? And I think, and that's been honestly the hardest part for what I do is when I tell families that they're like, huh, I didn't even know I needed that. So that's what I'm working on. That's kind of my word for this year's awareness of it because they know they need it. They just don't know how to ask for it. <laughs> Yeah. The parent of a special needs child, like anything that I can educate myself on or be aware of or that can help me help him is huge because it just takes that first, that kind of a load off maybe the parent or the sibling, but also adds some sort of utility or I don't know, something in the child's life that can help them feel, I don't know, important or feel like someone has making making these changes to help them whatever that might be. And kind of like, you know, helping the siblings understand better. I mean, helping the home be more functional, like all those things are just going to help the child function better and probably, you know, get to a more um, like adaptive state or whatever, you know, just be able to, and the family to flow better and everything. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I was going to say, so, so Angie moved with you and like, how did that, how did that all work out? And my mom. And your mom. Okay. 
Yeah. That's nice. So I I bought a house and the intention was, you know, I, I wasn't sure I had to discover Utah, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but actually Brooke was, she was so sweet. She was helping me kind of, you know, with areas I should be looking into and everything. Um, so I bought my house and the intention is to leave my house for my mom and sister. Um, and it, and adapted, I've been adapting it little by little along the way. The thing is, Angie's, Angie's just kind of at a, at a point where she's very independent when she does something for a few routines. So how I adapt that the house for her is very different than like other clients. Um, but you know, we, we moved as a family and we were just really grateful for the process and we've really enjoyed Utah and all the people that we've connected with and just really excited to continue our advocacy and, and work here together. Awesome. Yeah, that's so great. And are you working with families still with the therapy side of things or are you transitioning more to the homes primarily? I'm transitioning more into the homes and providing training to and workshops for therapists. And mm. I'll, I'll do workshops for therapists, for ER nurses. But my goal, I feel like my profession changes as Angie gets older and the life stages look different. And it's interesting because I feel like now that she's an adult, I just see so many of the things that we need for adults in our community, what their needs are, especially in the home and in, out at like, you know, vocational programs and, and volunteer work. Um, but yeah, my transition is going into adaptive, um, adapting homes and then also providing workshops. That's more part of my advocacy, not necessarily that I get paid for that, but it's part of just spreading that awareness and really helping families out in the community where real estate and the adapting is more my, my profession. Um, I met Angie before, I think you brought her to Jonna Brooks when I was there. Um, and she really does light up a room. Yeah. She's got this great smile and just has a really good, happy feeling about her. And so I'm glad to hear that she's, you know, doing well and adapting and, and feeling independent. That's just so awesome. Yeah. 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 She actually has a job at a therapy office and she reads to kids and she has a job with other kids with autism. And I think oh, it's so great, great that she kind of sees herself as full circle. So she's happy. Yeah. So cool. I love that. Yeah. And I thought it was cool too, how you just said that you feel like your role and what you're doing kind of like moves along life with Angie as well. It's just cool. It kind of shows like how close you guys are and how important she is to you. You know, I thought that was really a neat thing to, to like observe or, or to say, you know, so, um, yeah, I feel like with Angie, there's just never, never enough learning. I mean, we've done really cool things together. Like we've, we've trained over 12 departments of, um, 12 law police departments here in Utah. We've trained, uh, ER nurses at children's hospital back in Florida. We've developed programs for medical offices. Like we do that together. And I'm just really grateful for her in my life because I feel like she just gives me so much meaning and purpose, even though in the beginning I thought it was, more of a bad thing in my life but I've yeah. been really grateful and I I want to stress how I want to stress how important therapists and professionals are because they can really change the trajectory in the life of of siblings and what they do for their sibling um and I'm grateful for all the professionals that have really inspired me along the way with Angie and helped me connect with her yeah, yeah. and I love it just it just took one at the beginning to kind of yeah have your curiosity and have you all of a sudden turn your kind of passion and into helping her and others. So yeah, I love that. 
Okay, so um, yeah, so we have loved chatting with you today and would love to ask you our wrap-up question, which is how do you find beauty in life after going through this transition with your sister, Angie? Hmm, That's a really good question. I feel like it's a daily habit of reflection and gratitude. I feel like it's really easy to look at certain things in your life that come up and say, you know, why did it happen to me? And when you come from a place of empathy, curiosity, and gratitude, and just passion, your whole life can change no matter what experience you've had. Um, As having different types of experiences myself, it's just beautiful when you can really find gratitude in it all. Yeah. Yeah, that was perfectly. Yeah, beautifully said. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Um, Okay, so Natalie needs to go because she's busy with her awesome yeah. life <laughs> yeah um so we're gonna we'll let you go angie's always happy to draw a disney character for anyone too if they want to reach out to me for that oh, <laughs> oh that's so cool yeah that is awesome i love yep. that she does that so perfect thanks all right thanks so much to natalie for um taking time to share her story with us um she had to go so we wanted to get on and just give the information on how to get a hold of her and to follow her on social media and to know more about what she's doing. Cause I feel like we just kind of touched the surface right, on all the things that she's doing. So, yeah. um, she's was really amazing. And I think, um, they're both lucky Natalie and Angie to have each other. So yeah. her Instagram is natalie.e.castro, um, on Instagram. And I think it's also the same on Facebook. And if you go to Instagram, it shows, you know, you could get to her TEDx talk. Um, you can find out more. She's a real estate agent and helps autistic families, um, creating an autism friendly home. And so, yeah, that's how you can get a hold of her and follow along with Natalie and all the things she does. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll link to that too, um, in the show notes here that you can just quickly look there too, if you want to click over to her Instagram. Um, and her TEDx talk there is really good. And she kind of, we talked about some of the same things in the interview, but I feel like if you wanted to know, you know, just a little bit different angle of her story, you could watch that. It's only about 15 minutes long. Um, but something that stuck out to me in it at the end, she gives this quote and it said, inspiration without action is just a feeling inspiration with action is a miracle. And it was cool. Cause she kind of talked about how, well, first of all, how like Angie's a miracle in her life. Yeah. And then she talked about how that woman who was a speech pathologist, I think, um, was a miracle to her. And if she wouldn't have kind of pulled, um, Natalie into one of those therapy sessions with Angie, it could have changed everything. Like I, know, I might, think that's such a cool part of the story you know, that one person made such a big difference. So yeah. And it really was just that she was, um, aware, like noticed yeah. that, you know, these sisters needed a little extra help and it's changed everything. So yeah, it was really cool. And they've both been able to help so many people since then. So yeah, hope you enjoyed this episode. We really loved chatting with Natalie. Yeah, she was great. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribed to the podcast and followed along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We the Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along
now it's time to move along. Take this journey as my own. Feel the strength right in my bones. All I want is to believe life is my own. Life. Take.